Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast about UK-German friendship, past, present and future. I'm Andreas Michaelis, the German ambassador in London. I would like to welcome you to this month's episode of our podcast, which will focus on the creative arts and design, as well as their important role in literally designing our future bilateral relations. Some of you may have visited the London Design Biennale at Somerset House and admired this colourful and thought-provoking celebration of international collaboration and of the global reach and impact of design with ambitious and inspiring design showcases from across the world. This year's London Design Biennale has been particularly exciting with a German pavilion receiving a special commendation for its intriguing exhibit entitled Spoon Archaeology. The installation designed by Peter Eckhart and Kai Linke was masterfully presented as a historical study of plastic spoons, now a product of a bygone era, having been banned in the EU. The Biennale's idea of interconnecting, of cooperating on and helping to unleash creative solutions for the problems of tomorrow chimes strongly, of course, with the rationale of our podcast series. The power of creative minds must continue to have a firm place in our societies to challenge us, to prompt us, to transform us with a view to a better future for all. This is no small task especially when thinking about this globally. Let us start with something closer to us. How do we ensure that the voice of creativity is heard in relations between Germany and the UK? Still a complex question, but we are fortunate to have experts with us who might shed some light on this. I'm honored and truly delighted to introduce you briefly to our two distinguished speakers, Victoria Brokes and Thomas Geisler. Victoria is the director of the London Design Biennale. Prior to that, Victoria was senior curator for the V&A Department of Theatre and Performance, and from 2009 to 2018, head of the London Design Festival at the V&A. A very warm welcome to you, Victoria. Our second speaker is Thomas Geisler, curator, author, and director of the Museum of Decorative Arts of the Dresden State Art Collection since 2019. Prior to this, Thomas was curator and head of the design collection at MAK Vienna, where he co-founded the Vienna Design Week. It is wonderful to have you with us today, Thomas. So, Today's conversation will revolve around the influence and reach of design in a global world, but also in the context of national perceptions and as a driving force in our bilateral relations. We will be guided through this discussion by our chair, Dr. Jana Scholze, Associate Professor at the Kingston School of Art. Jana, welcome and over to you. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. You both have recently collaborated in the London Design Biennial, Vicky as its director and Thomas as curator of the German Pavilion, which received a special commendation 
Congratulations. I think it would be helpful for our listeners, Vicky, if you could briefly introduce the Land Design Biennial. Sure. Um, so the um, Biennial, or Biennale, as, as we tend to call it, I, I, I suppose, because that's where it all started, um, it takes place, um, obviously, every two years, and it presents London as a stage, but for international design ideas at the highest level, coming together to look at how design can help address the uh, world's issues and how individual nations are presenting themselves and their design ideas in a, in a very kind of collaborative and exchange-focused place and, and time. Thomas, could you describe the German pavilion that got a lot of press and this special commendation. Yeah, well, I think uh, Victoria needs to tell what a special commendation is afterwards, but it uh, seems something quite unusual, why we've been quite happy and feel very much honored, of course. Uh, so uh, we decided to send a project called uh, Spoon Archaeology that reflected on the ban of plastic cutlery through the European Union. The presentation we gave was kind of an anthropological, archaeological visit of these designerly objects that for industrial, in particular for industrial designers, are perfectly designed functional objects uh, in regard to material um, efficiency, production efficiency, cost efficiency, and all these kind of things that creates some very streamlined objects. Uh, and it's a global uh, item. And still you might even discover some cultural differences uh, wherever they derive from. So we presented them as you would actually uh, present butterflies uh, or you know special species uh, pinned to the in, in little uh, cases uh, to um, also kind of presenting outdated species uh, and of course that is just the surface of it and what we then started to question is really you know what is an alter alternative to this and uh, the two designers Kai Linke and Peter Eckert whom I invited on this project they have this amazing collection that they already used at a study collection uh, then together with a team of young designers both of them are teaching at German design uh, schools also discovered or explored on a, something that they called the spoon complexity map which really gives the bigger picture. It's uh, you know it's a simple item of plastic, but if you look inside or behind or beyond it, it opens up like a landscape of uh, sociological, political, economical uh, references. In, in terms of the German pavilion and um, why <laughs> why it got a special commendation, and um, why I would say it appealed to me uh, enormously. Um, was in part, I mean, Thomas has described it incredibly well, I think as, um, and you, Jana, would uh, feel this, I'm sure, in, in terms of, from a sort of museum perspective, it was almost, it was quite uh, humorous in the sense of the way that it dealt with its subject. Uh, but it also, as Thomas explained, had so many levels to it. You know, in a Biennale, there's so much on view. We just, you know, people may stay in a room one minute. And if they looked at it, it was an absolutely beautiful display uh, that you could instantly get the idea of. But as Thomas said, that the poster on the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but as a sort of a beautiful sort of graphic and socioeconomic exploration of, of the subject, 
with an, just an immense amount of work clearly in there. You didn't have to have all that, that maybe one in, I don't know, 50 people studied that, but it had something for everybody at different levels. One thing that I wanted to um, address here is the question of, of the national, of course, especially in this moment that the German pavilion addressed a law that was introduced in Europe where, of course, we are not anymore in Britain, in Europe. And did this play, and that is probably a question to Thomas first, did this play at some point a role where you think like, can I still show this? Or is this not anymore appropriate where I could easily show this at a national pavilion in Paris, if there would be a Biennale? And then also to Vicky, did this play a role to kind of think about accepting it? Could this be also politically kind of difficult. Well, since this has uh, is a global issue uh, and, you know, just surviving on this planet, it has no, you know, national nor any other border. So it affects us all as a community, as a global community. Uh, but I'm very thankful for this additional layer you put in it. So I would see it as a provocation to the, the British, uh, maybe to the, to the British audience, but also to the decision maker to um, seriously think about, you know, uh, uh, we all know uh, the complexity of the, you know, the European Union, the lawmaking and all these kind of things. To me personally, I think it actually should not need a law to, you know, to get this wise, uh, to see that we have to change uh, certain uh, habits or just the way we, we, we deal with resources and, and, and everything in regard to be becoming a sustainable society. So, but, uh, and I assume that, um, you know, uh, other um, uh, states or whatsoever uh, also will follow this decision. Yes, so um, I think there's so, many, so much really in this um, question on kind of national pavilions. Um, I would say I completely agree with what I was saying earlier in terms of what the issues predominantly addressed within the Biennale did, I mean, an awful lot of them were about environmental things, but very few, I think, had what would be considered a uniquely national perspective. Um, uh, one which um, also won, uh, won a prize, won a medal, was, was Venezuela's pavilion, um, which focused on the Venezuelan economy and the dependence on fossil fuels um, and how disastrous uh, that had been for the economy. Um, so it was both a sort of national story, but with a but it also a, a cautionary tale, um, I think you would call it. In terms of the 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 sort of practical or uh, what is behind the national pavilions, I was considering this uh, <laughs> earlier, and um, it's clearly not it's not really the way the world is going. And in terms of the sort of spirit of the of the Biennale and it being very much about bringing. Uh, people and nations together and it's based on the Venice principle and perhaps the Expo principle where countries make their own decisions about what they're they're bringing rather than it being curated centrally by by us saying you know can you do something on that and just as with the Expo often usually the host country will do say four kind of core pavilions that speak to a number of things and then the countries will bring their own their own shows. So in a sense this year, for us, the UK pavilion, which was actually about the UN sustainability goals, 
uh, fulfilled that role very, very well uh, because it spoke to many of the issues um, taking place. Um, but I, I think, I mean, what I'd also want to say is that I think at the national, um, to say the national sort of navigational tool, I think is still something that the public and the audience uh, and all of us can can use very usefully. I think if it were, <laughs> if the public came in and everything was like the UN pavilion, you know, and this is the sort of Franco-German bit, and this is where um, these people got together, it sort of wouldn't have the framework that it that it has now, where people really respond well. They're not expecting a display of nationalism, and they would be horrified if they found it and they wouldn't find it. But it does allow them to walk around, and you know, as I was saying, in this time when it was so hard to travel, um, you know, you've got a chance to look around the world um, in the centre of London. And I think you also kind of opened it. It's not just national contributions because you also have this, you know, particular communities or territories. So I think that already sort of opens up to more individual groups. Exactly. We're completely open to that and would, you know, would be more so. But I think it's I think it is also nice that it has this sort of backbone of of the, the national because it just helps people sort of read it. Absolutely. In in some respects, I would probably follow on up, up from this in saying Thomas hinted already or spoke about uh, the complexity of design practice that needs to ignore national borders and and most design practice as we see it is absolutely global it kind of works with people uh, wherever there are the specialists wherever something is developed wherever you find the people you you need for a project to to realize to be realized and so in this respect I, I would like to ask with regard to this podcast how much do bilateral relationships still play a role and how are they still important where, where do you see their strengths and their value it already opens up, of course, to more, you know, international uh, collaboration. I mean, design business is quite a, a, a network, global network, uh, but also, of course, a regional network on one hand. Again, and I think uh, whenever there is a chance in collaborating, in particularly also with the UK, if it, I mean, I can tell from my side, working with a museum and also in a network uh, of museums here in Dresden, that's a long, uh, ongoing collaboration with partner institutions. And we even have personalities that have a long, or a strong relation between London and, 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 and Dresden and, of course, beyond. I, in particular, see it important also on the level of education. I think the mobility uh, for young people to have the opportunity to also learn other cultures of uh, design. I think it's uh, still there. You will have quite differences. Uh, even if I go think back when I got educated, the RCA, London, but all the design schools in the UK, I think my first encounter really was uh, where graduation shows uh, I visited in London that I've never experienced back in Austria or Germany. There was such a stronghold to see all those variety of, you know, it's one discipline, but it can split up in so many sub-disciplines. And at the time, I simply could not afford to study um, uh, in the UK. And thanks uh, to all the programs, you know, and uh, exchange possibilities. And I think this is most important uh, to keep up this connections and the possibilities really 
to uh, have young people, young professionals also in particular in these possibilities to exchange also uh, cities. I mean, of course, London has a very strong impact on, on the global creative industries. Um, I mean, the whole uh, concept derived from the UK, I would say, when it's swept over in the, you know, during the Blair era, I think it influenced uh, decades of, uh, or even speed up the perception of design also on the continent. And, uh, and I think all the collaborative projects in the back, you know, right, uh, bringing together uh, design from Germany and uh, UK in exchange, but also collaborating on projects. I think that is very important. I even, I do remember we, uh, even long time before I was here director and uh, at the Kunstgewerbe Museum back in the 90s, there was a show uh, made in Britain. Uh, I mean, those were really those very important and heydays uh, of uh, making also this kind of national design developments, uh, you know, travel and accessible. Of course, I think that was a phase and now we're much more um, in multinational collaborations. And through this possibility, you know, for students, today you barely can tell, you know, uh, whether this has a German, a British, uh, a French or a uh, whatever, Egyptian or uh, people from the Global South background, because if they had the opportunity to study at one of these places, they embrace this de design culture and bring it back and mix it up with their uh, backgrounds. So I think that's, uh, that's uh, the, uh, the important thing, but also to make understand, you know, how other culture, how other design culture ticks in a way. We are working in a, a sort of industry, whether it's museums or the design profession, the schools, art schools and so on architecture which is I mean it's possibly more global and international than any other sector than maybe banking or something is a equivalent but there are few and if what we're also saying is that these kind of interventions and exhibitions actually they're only you know they're a part of the story it's like you know the great exhibition that uh, in the vna you know they they start the story but the story goes way beyond the sector and into the whole kind of, um, you know, the soft power diplomacy and so on areas. Um, I certainly feel, and in terms specifically of the sort of German-British relations, which, you know, seem to be really strong and good in terms of architecture design and so on. Um, but, you know, there was an article in the Financial Times this weekend about uh, social care, uh, sort of whatever later years care and what's been going on in Germany uh, of which I was completely unaware and how we in Britain should be looking at that and kind of thinking of how well how actually how close Britain and Germany were before the 20th century uh, and how admired Germany was and obviously the change that has gone through my, my brother is a um, I mean, he's at Gossingen University now, he spends a lot of time there, he's an absolute German fan. one of my daughters is as well, but I have to say that's quite unusual, um, it didn't used to be, but it, you know, it is now, and, and I suppose these kinds of relationships that develop out of the things that we're all doing can be really important in, in the um, repercussions beyond that. There's a much easier and faster um, link between 
the design practice across all sections as design fashion, as you said, I think in research and in particular also in, you know, dealing in, in the field of uh, design studies, it took much longer uh, because there is quite a strong German theoretical community. There's a strong French community and there's a strong community in the UK, which of course through its uh, Commonwealth um, background is much more widespread also to the uh, to North America and so on. And I think that is when I back in the 90s, I think that was much more, uh, it was almost, you know, the readings could not be exchanged. There is still a lot of untranslated research in Germany that needs to be made accessible also in regard to translation. I do think um, that a knowledge and understanding of the language learnt early on in, in, in school, in education, makes the most enormous difference to how open one can become and be and is naturally or naturally after that education. Um, it, it's so important and it's why it's so um, sort of heartbreaking really to see the decline in British education because later on there's not the need in that sense to be understood but that doesn't mean to my mind that there's not the need in so many other ways of being open and interested and able to access other cultures which would make it completely vital. I would also say it's such an easy one in a sense to, to, to deal with and when I was first many, many, many years ago at the VNA, I got to spend a year in Paris at the Louvre. And uh, it was really unheard. Of. It was kind of really rare, but it, co no, it cost nobody anything. <laughs> uh, that's rather a lot of negatives. But basically, you know, within to just shift people around for a year, it doesn't doesn't, you know, cost the cost of the train ticket or the plane ticket or whatever. And it's such an obvious one to do. And it brings so many benefits. I think something came out of this conversation, the possibility of, of training or exchange or whatever um, it and promoting that, I think, is it's hugely beneficial and very important. I feel especially in the discussion about inclusivity and diversity, where we really we can only include everyone in this discussion if we accept that there are sources that are not readable. I have now a bibliography for my students where I can't read half of the sources because it is just diverse and there are sources in so many languages that I have to trust someone else to include it on this list that is important. I, I would like to, uh, Vicky already addressed the, the historical reference and I would probably go back to the example of the influence of German emigrants to modern British culture, such as, as we know, Walter Gropius, Marcel Breuer, but also artists such as Gustav Metzger and Lucien Freud. I'm wondering, and probably this is a little bit provocative, whether specific historical situations are beneficial for bilateral relationships, even if they are as horrific as war, and I'm wondering whether Brexit could be read as such a situation that enforces relationships, that makes us work harder on these relationships, or do you think it could even, or it just hold, uh, prevents us from, from having these? In any situation, you always can see, for good or for bad, the, also the opportunities, of course. 
and as you mentioned, uh, the impact of the emigres um, to the UK, but also was uh, enormous. And I got also highly influenced by uh, the possibility to work and learn with teachers who actually came from the UK. And for whatever reason, they left. In that case, it was no war, but it was at least intention to go somewhere else, to spread the word from things that they, you know, were educated in back in the UK. And of course, that definitely formed a lot of my thinking. Uh, I mean, I worked with Diane Sudic, with um, Alison Clark, and uh, I think that kind of really also opened up my eyes uh, to look at things going on in the UK, uh, definitely much more and beyond. I think uh, there are people who uh, particularly might have left uh, the, the UK uh, to, to be part, you know, to live on the continent. And I think that's always comes with something, as we call it, the brain drain. I think it is by far more difficult for uh, people from the continent to to go to the uh, to UK and also vice versa, I suppose. So things have been much more easier before, but that road is taken at least at the moment. So I think we need to deal with this situation and being an optimist, it does not prevent us from either the mental or even physical mobility that we have been used to, particularly before the pandemic. And I, I think it's much more the pandemic that will change uh, some of our uh, habits and thinking. And also the other thing is, is the global migration. So I, I think it's, uh, that is definitely something that will change our society more massively than you know things over the past decades uh, in regard to this usually the, the sort of pat answer is that these you know sort of adverse conditions often accelerate or prompt more adaptation and creativity and certainly with you know designers and architects and so on one's seen a lot of that I suspect with something like uh, Brexit, um, though there is a sort of element of polarisation for for those of us who didn't want Brexit, there's uh, a, a renewed energy to do something to to keep us connected. My best friend from school, I mean, this is so, I think, really bizarre, but not that unusual as it turns out. Uh, her father left Germany as a child in the 1940s, and she's kind of wholly... English and so on, she's just become German again. She's just got her whatever it is. And um, we were around there last, last uh, well, a few weeks ago, and she showed me the letter she got from the German embassy or government or whatever welcoming her. And I just talking about it makes me feel quite, <laughs> quite tearful. It was such a nice letter. It was so welcoming and, um, and it's it, it, quite uncanny. And, it, you know, it felt like a really huge step, but I suppose what I'm saying is that, you know, people are pushed much further in particular directions. So she has gone that far. I think, um, though, also uh, just kind of going back to biennales and, and, and expos and so on. You know, I think back uh, when when we were doing the revolutions exhibition at um, the UNA, a lot at the, um, the World Fairs in the 1960s, you know, when a time when you know, people really didn't go abroad and they did go to those great expos to understand more about the culture of the country. That was possibly the only thing they ever saw of it. You know, they what they knew of Japan was in the, um, you know, the Japan room. I, I suppose from that I was to say that, although that's less true now, it's still, it's still in a really important part of us uh, at, at all ages being exposed to 
other places and people and ideas um, in order to kind of get get the best from the world, I suppose. Fascinating. There would be more questions. Unfortunately, it is time for our last question, which is always the same in this podcast, which is the question, what are your wishes for the future bilateral relations between Germany and UK? To have uh, the opportunity also for, um, you know, young people or professionals to have this exchange between across the borders is a very important way of keeping in touch. I'm not so into details what actually Brexit meant for all those uh, programs, uh, as long as they stay intact. <laughs> I think that is a, that would be a great uh, future, and I think that's what I'm hoping for. I wholeheartedly support that and uh, just say we may have to fight a little harder to keep those things um, going and make sure they are going and make sure people know about them very much in favour of uh, exchange uh, across borders and doing this kind of doing this kind of thing. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much.